It's time for your weekly dose of nostalgia with the 80s and 90s Uncensored. I am Milo Dennison. And I'm Jamie Fenderson. And today we're going to talk about 1980s California culture. And to do that, we have a totally bodacious and radical guest with us. He is an award-winning journalist who's been recognized by the Los Angeles Press Club, where he was nominated as Journalist of the Year in 2020. He's also a lawyer by trade. You might have seen him hanging out on CNN or Fox Business News. He's also the author of a brand new radical book called The Mighty 690, which is, and I say it's new because this book is coming hot off the press tomorrow. It's coming off the hot, hot off the press. So if you, you're going to see a link in the show notes, click that people click it now. Check this book out. Please welcome Alexander Karen. Thank you. Very much appreciated. It's good to be with you. Thank you for that intro. Well, you know, shoot, man. We, we don't get to hang out with awesome Californian, bodacious Californians who, who write books every day. So yeah, of course yeah, I'm going yeah. to intro. I'm going to intro proper like. So are you, are you actually from California, Alex? I am. I'm uh, born and raised in Southern California in the beautiful city of Long Beach, All right. um, which even though I now live in Orange County, which is a little further south down the 405 freeway, still consider Long Beach uh, my home. Um, it's where my heart is. It's where I grew up, where I was schooled, um, where I do a lot of my professional work. But yeah, I had the privilege of... Um, Growing up there in the 70s and the 80s, so we capture a little bit of your audience with the 80s and 90s, but I think more towards the front end of that segment. But yeah, had the um, had the, had the really good fortune of growing up in a really cool time in a really cool place. Cool, because the book takes place in Southern California. It uh, do you want to give us a quick summary of it? Yeah, yeah, I would love to. So the book is called The Mighty 690, and it is. Um, as uh, inscribed at the beginning of the book, is based on or inspired by actual events. So it takes place in the summer, over one week of the summer of 1981 in Southern California, uh, where a struggling AM radio station, and the Mighty 690 was a real radio station uh, that broadcasts throughout Southern California in the early to mid-80s. They held a radio contest in the vein of Um, a lot of other stations across the U.S. that were struggling for listenership and trying to figure out what they wanted to be. And, um, you know, unlike some of the contests where they had people, you know, touch a car for a week and the last person to let go or to keep their hand on the car won the car, they decided to bury $50,000 in cash somewhere in Southern California and then give clues one a day for a week until somebody figured it out and literally dug up the money. So that's the premise of the book. It's a fictionalized version of that um, actual event. And I think it's uh, it's a really co- cool read, really cool story, and really resonated with me as a kid. I remember the contest very well and kind of what it meant. Yeah, <laughs> that's when, so I was, when I was when I was reading it, it was funny because it got me thinking about how radio stations used to be more local. Now they're all national. And they would do local contests. Like, yeah, if you, you call in and do this and you win a prize or that kind of stuff. And it totally got me thinking about that and kind of, kind of missing that. Cause I don't know if you guys have ever called into a radio station. I called in once they played a song and they're like, it was one of those, like, if you can, the first person to name this song wins. Uh, and, and it was a song that they played and I called in and got it right. And I'm like, yay. 
and they, but the prize was the stupidest thing. So they're like, great, come down to the radio station and you can pick a CD out of this box of CDs, you know, these demo CDs and crap to get. And the box had like a bunch of crap in it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's not $50,000. No, it wasn't. I'm like, first of all, I drove all the way down here. I was all it's not even worth the gas, man. And these are like What's the hand-down CDs that nobody wants. <laughs> great. Thanks for the CD, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, no doubt. No 50. But I love like treasure hunts and that kind of stuff. It, so it was like, yeah, it was fun reading the book for that reason and kind of trying to just try to figure out who is going to be the one to actually end up with it kind of a thing with these types of books. You're like, who who do you think it's going to be? Yeah, I know. I, I appreciate that. And it's interesting, Milo. So you, you talk about, you know, the sort of the loss of the local radio station. It was such a big part of my growing up because it's kind of what you identified with and it's kind of what helped identify you to other people. So when we were all in junior high school and we first started flirting with you know music being part of our identity you know cool kids listen to one station the nerdy kids listen to another station i was part of that camp of course but we sort of lost that and i think a lot of that is because there's just so much content right now and so much on demand um you know which in you know one respect is a great thing you know we um, can satisfy sort of that short attention span we all have and have that instant gratification. But at the same time, we've really lost this era where we had five TV channels to choose from and everybody kind of watched the same stuff. On Thursday night, everybody watched Happy Days or um, everybody listened to the same radio station and it really spilled over into your everyday conversation. So to your point, I think we've, we've kind of lost that. Absolutely. I remember like same thing being a kid. And one of the conversations you would have when you're talking to other kids is like, which radio station do you listen to? Like it was your criteria for if they were cool or not, is if they listened to the same station you did, you know? Absolutely. I used to listen. I used to tell people I listened to like the heavy rock, heavy metal, but then I'd go home and like listen to the pop station with like rock set or something. But I was like, no, nah, not really. Not a school. <laughs> but that's, it's interesting though. Jimmy, that's the Mighty 690, just to give you a little bit of the landscape in Southern California in the 80s, was really dominated by these mega rock stations. So there were there were two in particular. One was called KMET and one was called KLOS. And in fact, there was a recent homage to KMET in a recent film. And now, of course, I'm going to forget the title of the film that came out last year where there's a scene where Jason Bateman's character is smashing a car in a parking lot. And there's a very prominent KMET billboard in the background um but the mighty 690 was really on the lighter side it was very poppy so it was very blue collar um it was very relatable to the kids who kind of fell in the middle like me but really what made that radio station unique was that it was not based in los angeles it was actually broadcast from south of the border is what they call the border blaster radio station so the antenna mm -hmm. that emitted that signal was actually in tijuana mexico oh. uh, the administrative offices were in San Diego, but the broadcast reach for the Mighty 690 went all over Southern California. So when this contest came along, you had people from Ventura, Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego, all looking for this bag that contained $50,000 in cash. And think about that concept. Nobody would bury cash today, right? Nobody uses cash. It's really not a preferred currency, but just that concept was... Um, was uh, so parochial and so cool at the time. I really wanted to try to capture that in the book. Well, let's jump into our subjects as much as I love talking about classic radio stations and stuff. 
let's uh, that's that's what our subject should have been. Let's talk about California culture from the 80s, because it was kind of a culture and an era where a lot of what was happening in California spread throughout the rest of the United States. So maybe let's start the discussion is how would you guys define California culture? Like, like, how would you define it? What is it? Well, to me, it's a, it's, it's an, it's a culture. It's not just one thing. It's a number of things. So it's a fashion, it's an aesthetic, it's the food, it's the music. So you had things like we've talked about sushi that proliferated out of California, the whole like neon design surfer thing that all came out of California, the whole surfer lingo, even a lot of the words that I still use today, like rad and radical and bodacious people talk like surfers, even like in Cleveland, <laughs> they dress like Pauly Shore and they said bodacious and they're like from like Lexington, Kentucky, right? Because it's spread out in the eighties and you even have things like uh, the, the, the TV show Milo and I love uh, Saved by the Bell. That's a whole California thing. The aesthetic of it, kind of the attitude, the surfer, the laid back thing. Uh, so to me, it's really, it's, it's the whole culture spread out of California. And I remember in the eighties, like hang loose video games called California games, skate or die. <laughs> it's so true. Even like up in Seattle where it's rainy, we were like, yeah, let's hang loose, man. <laughs> Radical, bodacious. <laughs> that was a real thing in the 80s. So everybody was a Californian, it seemed, for a decade. <laughs> so true. And I know, I know I'm biased. I, I really think that a lot of those trends started in the West and started in California in the 80s. Language, surf culture, skateboard culture, um, fashion and really sort of migrated eastward, but I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm biased. And so I, I kind of agree with you. The, you know, the interesting thing, and one of the things I tried to capture in this book was there, there even though that was a sort of a dominant, um, um, you know, sort of style in California, the surf culture, it was really this blend of lots of different eclectic um, cultures kind of coming together. In the 80s in Southern California, it was really the story of kind of decentralization. So people were moving out of the, the, the Los Angeles proper and the big cities in Orange County proper and moving into the suburbs. So you had this rise of suburbia. So, you know, there are great films that came out of that era that really reflected that. In fact, there was one I was reading yesterday um, starring Matt Damon, and I forget the name of it now, but it was um, very controversial about kids moving into suburbia. And, you know, you really had that. So you had you know, blue collar kids, you had uh, Latino, um, uh, African American, Asian, you had this just entire melting pot, but there was this common thread of everybody being from California, they kind of all subscribe to this pact of, we're from California, so we've got to be ahead of the cultural curve a little bit. Yeah. And even a lot of like the Spielberg films were in like, California suburbs. I think that 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 was pretty prolific and people were like, well, California suburbs seem pretty rad because they got aliens <laughs> and stuff going on there. That's cool. It's it's not boring like my suburban town. It's there's cool stuff going on in California suburb and even stuff like Bill and Ted was super California like, dude, <laughs> let's go back in time. <laughs> 
Um, if you're a true Californian, you'll know where they filmed Back to the Future. You'll know what mall they filmed it at in Whittier, California, um, or where the ET house is, to your point, up in the valley. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. One of the, the, the best, I think, most reflective TV shows in the last you know, 20 years to really capture 80s uh, culture um, was Freaks and Geeks. And um, even though it took place in a fictional town in Michigan, it was filmed in Simi Valley, California. And I think that wasn't um, by coincidence. It really, that, that, that town really represents one of the suburbs that kind of flourished in the 80s and kind of took advantage of this burgeoning um, kind of decentralization we were talking about. So yeah, I agree with all your points. Yeah, that show unfortunately didn't catch on like it should have because it's such a brilliant show and totally. such a bummer. I think for me, when I think of California culture, it it, it kind of has this like lifestyle of where like you got nice weather, you got the beach, it, you know, it's much more laid back when, like Jamie said, we, we, you know, we're from the Pacific Northwest, right? So it's like cold and wet and you're just, and the whole, you know, slap, you know, California dreaming surf song kind of thing going and you're like, man, yeah, that sounds nice. So it, it makes sense why it did proliferate throughout the rest of the U.S. Because everybody's looking like, man, yeah, that's nice. This sucks. I'm, people in Michigan, they're like, oh man, it's like two feet of snow in the winter. And they're over there like, I'm watching, you know, I just watched Lethal Weapon and it's Christmas and man, the weather looks great. <laughs> you know, Great, great movie, by the way. Filmed, by the way, part of that filmed in, um, in Long Beach, California. <laughs> but that's, it's, it's interesting. So that is the uh, I would I agree with you, but you know one of the things that this book tries to capture um, is that there was a little bit of an underbelly to that too in the eighties. So this, on the surface, you know, the rest of the country saw this, um, you know, this geography that was all about dreams and hopes and going to the beach and playing in the surf and everything was sunny and everything was um, was you know pretty pretty sterile, but nice. Um, you know, the, the reality and more so I think in the eighties than now was that there was a little bit of a struggle. Um, you know, there was a, a growing economic disparity in Southern California. So, you know, kids who lived in the Valley, you know, look at karate kid as a perfect example of that, right? Poor kid lives in Reseda. He doesn't live in Santa Monica. Um, you know, you had, you know, this sort of, push-pull between the California dream of the 80s and what was starting to grow to be a more realistic um, economic and social reality. Kids were shut off from the beach. They were shut off from Disneyland. They were shut off from all these iconic, um, you know, sort of markers that people would associate with Southern California. I think of acting People dream of becoming actors, right? So they head off to California to make it big and they end up work, you know, working on the street corner, selling their bodies and stuff because they weren't. Because they to thought they it. were gonna be in a hairband video. Yeah. And Get discovered on Sunset Strip with like <laughs> dancing on like White Snake's car, but it totally didn't end up that way, right? Yep. That's kind of the concept I have. Like maybe we didn't know about that in the 80s as much, but I guess the concept I have of Southern California today is kind of that way where it's like this giant grid across a valley and you might have this really nice movie star kind of house, but like a block away, it's like Boys in the Hood or something. Like 
and it's all really close together, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, I might be wrong about that, but I guess that's the conception I have nowadays is like, it goes from like boys in the hood. And then one block away is like Beverly Hills, 90210. <laughs> no, so, so true, James. So true. And if you look at Southern California, it really was designed from an urban planning standpoint as a grid. And, you know, we joke about Southern California and the eighties are really when this started to, to kind of manifest, but it's, it's a bunch of, you know, islands of what we would call kind of idyllic suburbia. So, you know, nice homes with green grass on the lawns and, um, you know, everything's safe and, you know, you drive, you know, no more than five miles in any direction. And those aren't the circumstances. And one of the things I tried to capture in the mighty 690 in this book was that, you know, th this really captured a moment in time where Southern California was kind of figuring itself out um, from that dilemma that you just described, Jamie. So, you know, are we Hollywood and, you know, the, the way that the rest of the country sort of perceives us in the movies and in TV and in music, or are we, you know, um, uh, suburbia or are we a hardened kind of urban place? And, you know, each of the characters in these book, in this book, really represents a different segment of that. So try to give it the full flavor, but you're absolutely right. Are we Hollywood or are we boys in the hood? Like, right. <laughs> It's funny too, because there's scenes in the book where um, one of the characters, a uh, kid, he, ha ha he goes to a synagogue, right? And his mom has to drive him like way the hell out to the, the synagogue. And that, to me, that's California culture is sitting on the interstate in your car Going, you know, going somewhere because it's a big ass state, you know, and okay. and it's a, it's it's a car, very car culture state. I I was living in Europe for the past ten years and didn't have a car, and then I went on a trip to L.A. and it was funny. So me and my wife were in L.A. and we rented a car, of course, while we're there, and we're just seeing sights, and we're like, okay, well, let's just park the car and then we'll walk around and see some other stuff because we're so used to thinking in that mindset, and then we're there and we're like this sucks. It's hot. <laughs> and, like we're and we're like really far away. And then we, now we got to get all the fucking way back to our car. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, yeah. why did we, why did we not just not drive from this spot to that spot? This is California. We're supposed to drive everywhere we go. <laughs> no doubt. There's um, it's interesting. If you, if you study Southern California history, they, you know, back in the twenties the and the thirties, they had a very elaborate system called the red, the red line or the red car, sorry, the red car system. And you could literally get from the San Fernando Valley down to Orange County, which is about the, the, the two furthest points in Southern California from each other with ease on this, you know, electric train. And then the oil industry came in and destroyed that. And we became the car culture of Southern California. Now, you know, we're going back to how do we get back to this, this red car system where it's all electric and we get rid of cars, but it is, very much a car culture. I appreciate you, Milo, bringing up that that point in, in the book because it's based on an actual synagogue. There is an old Jewish temple in the middle of Boyle Heights, which is East Los Angeles, which is now predominantly Latino. And back in my grandfather's days was predominantly Jewish. The main street used to be called Brooklyn Avenue, and now it's Cesar Chavez Avenue. Um, and that really reflects the demographic shift of that area in Southern California as a whole um, in the 80s. But that temple, it's called the Breed Street Shul, and it still stands today if anybody's interested in seeing that. Wasn't that streetcar the uh, kind of the main kind of theme for Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Like, 
the bad guys are actually like trying to get rid of that red car. One percent, one hundred percent. A nice little homage to Southern California history. Good pull on that, Jamie. Yeah, and in real life, they succeeded. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the man did his job. Did did you guys? So we had California culture, but as I was reaching back into my memory, I think there was a competing similar culture, maybe not as prevalent, but it's kind of like Miami culture, which was kind of the East Coast thing where you had, I don't know, flamingos and Miami Vice. Lots of pink and uh, kind neons of and stuff. Neons. And, and I was looking into it in my memory and then looking into it more. I think the Miami culture was maybe a, a competing thing like you, you used to see a lot of that kind of as miami aesthetic on like trapper keepers so i think there was kind of that fun competition between california culture and my so southern california and miami culture and aesthetic um did you guys feel that at all or rap music east coast west coast brother come on <laughs> yeah yeah there was a little bit of that but you, you're right think about the think about the tv shows at the time right so you had Miami Vice, obviously, and you had Scarface, which was such a huge film, the Brian De Palma film from the 80s, which really tried to capture that that kind of Miami vibe. In L.A., like to live and die in L.A., I mean, they were very different, um, very different ethos. So, yeah, maybe they were competing with each other. I think you're on onto something there. Yeah, meanwhile, everybody like where Milo and I are from are just like, hmm, which nice weather culture should we pick? Yeah, that looks nice. <laughs> that also looks nice. There's so much. There's so much sunlight. What's that bright thing in the sky? That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Another thing, Milo and I did a whole episode on sushi, and I think that's kind of a thing too. Is some of the food that came out? Food is a big part of culture. And there was a lot of things that came out of California that became popular across the U.S. Like sushi was a big one, but also things like Calif well, the California roll. I mean, it's named after – it's in the name, right? And, and stuff like burritos and avocados started getting big in the 80s a bit. You know, People are like, oh, I got some avocados. They're expensive as hell, and I actually don't know what to do with it, but I got some avocados. You know what I'm saying? Because that's California. Um, food was another thing that I remember, e even even as far as ways like San Francisco with like bread bowls and, and kind of the San Francisco thing, too. I think a lot of food in the 80s, food culture really started to like go other places. So do you guys do you guys feel that? Yeah, no doubt. And I think you picked up on it. I mean, think about, you know, the cultural influence on food in California. And that really sort of started coming to a head in the 80s when you know people got out of their meat and potato grind i think but you had i mean all these wonderful flavors in in southern california um because of the the cultures that were here so sushi became a big thing um you know mexican food has always been a staple of you know of southern california um but thai food you know i mean it's just every every culture had their influence and i think that that was that was right and by the way it was great to grow up in Southern California in the eighties because you had all these foods, you know, to choose from. And you went to school with kids that came from, you know, these wonderfully diverse backgrounds and, you know, you're exposed to all these things. So it wasn't just, you know, kind of the music and the fashion, but, but the food to your point. I love Mexican food and I love taco trucks and stuff. And I, yeah, that's one of my 
California loves is 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 Mexican food. It's yeah, fantastic. No and even kind yeah. of diet food too, like kumquat wraps or whatever. Cause <laughs> I think the whole kind of dieting and exercise thing was kind of a California inspired thing too. Like I don't know, Jane Fonda is in her like leotards eating kumquat wraps and whatever. <laughs> People are like, I'm gonna buy that video and eat like diet food from California. <laughs> But there's also In-N-Out Burger, which I'm going to say it on the air here. I think it's a bit overrated. Oh, oh, those are fighting words <laughs> in California. But we had I just had that debate um, with my uh, with my uh, stepson, and you know, it's In-N-Out. I think intentionally does not open new restaurants. I think east of Utah, that's about as far east as they go, and so I think they know that the palate shifts a little bit uh, the further east you go in this country. So. We'll keep that, but you know, fat burger, you know, is fantastic. Oh yeah, fat burger. There's also if you know, there's a another Southern California staple that's been here uh, well before the '80s, but certainly flourished in the '80s, which was Tommy's Burger. So I don't know if you've ever had a chance to try the the chili burger at Tommy's, but that's a staple. But all these um, wonderful, you know, places that other people call dives, um, but you know, we call unique and. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just a a, a great uh, a great landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Any California culture items you guys want to bring up before we wrap it up? I think you got it with the in and out. That really starts and starts and ends with in and out. So there. Yeah, you go. way way to create controversy, dude. <laughs> the, the conversation I... was going so well, everybody's <laughs> friendly, and then you got to go start fighting words with in and out burger. I had to do it. I had to do it. I actually, I do like In-N-Out. Just so we're clear, I like In-N-Out Burger. It's just funny how much everybody loves In-N-Out Burger. Like, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is a good burger. Don't get me wrong. It's just funny how how uh, how cherished it is. Well, everybody, it's it's called the Mighty Six Ninety. It's a novel by Alexander Charon who has joined us today. And we're very grateful for uh, you joining us today. To talk about California culture. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. It's the Mighty Six Nights available on, uh, on Amazon and other platforms. And yeah, really happy to talk about the book and, and how that opens up to California culture generally. All right. Do you have any like uh, social media or a website you want to shout out? Uh, my website is uh, alexandercharon.com and you can check out my other writings that appeared in the Orange County Weekly. Uh, and a link to the Mighty 690 and a bit of my boring lawyer biography if anybody's interested in that. But um, yeah, alexandercharon.com. Check it out, people. Check it out. All right, audience. We're going to say you can always follow us on the 80s and 90s.com. And with that, we'll say we're out of here to go call into some radio station contests and win us some moolah. Or some crappy leftover CDs. Or a crappy yeah. CD out of a box. 